This time, we're taking a special look at the limited series Obi-Wan Kenobi. And along the way, we ask, is this peak Darth Vader? Is Star Wars relying solely on nostalgia? And what do we want from a second season? We are what you made us. And this is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, hello, Force-Fed Sci-Fi fans. Welcome back to another awesome limited series edition episode. This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I am one of your co-hosts, the Jedi Master, Sean Michael Culp. And along with me is my friend and co-host. I am the Inquisitor, Chris Rupp. The Inquisitor. <laughs> I love it. Is it? So here, and you're a vocabulary man. So Inquisitor, is that someone who like asks a bunch of questions? I think Inquisitor, it comes from the, the Spanish Inquisition where they were hunting down um, people of a different religion that they didn't like and were killing them. So I think the, the term Inquisitor applies here with you have you know uh force sensitive people who of the dark side who are hunting down escaped jedi from order 66 because hey we were told we don't like you so we're gonna kill you <laughs> wow so chris i'm excited to talk about this series um i know you and i i was pretty hyped when ewan mcgregor went on the show and said yep it's real it's happening and i know you we're pretty hyped about it too, if I'm correct. This has been something that's been a very long time coming, at least for me and my Star Wars fandom. Like, I think we said it before when we talked about the the Phantom Menace that you and McGregor and Liam Neeson were like the sole bright spots of that movie. And man, after Revenge of the Sith, we were all, I think we were all just kind of wondering like, wait a minute, so you mean to tell me that Obi-Wan just sat on his butt on Tatooine doing nothing like he had he must have done something in those years right yeah there were all those years before he became the great late uh Alec Guinness <laughs> so luckily we have this awesome series that came out that uh explored that so I will let you take it away for the synopsis well actually first and foremost we have to give out the spoiler warning correct yeah, I mean, I would feel obligated to do so. I mean, unless you're a Twitter user, you know everything that's basically <laughs> happened in this episode. But we're recording this the day after the last episode just premiered. And for those who haven't seen it yet, uh, we're, we may be getting into some spoilers here in this episode. So if you haven't watched all of Obi-Wan Kenobi yet, go back, watch it. It's a great watch, but uh, it's just the briefest of synopsis before we get into it. Mm -mm. So... Set 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith, former Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi is in hiding on Tatooine to watch over young Luke Skywalker until he's asked by former ally Senator Organa to track down and rescue his kidnapped daughter. Obi-Wan must then confront his inner demons and heal his connection to the Force and rescue his old friend's daughter. Boom! I love it. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> like the and great thing for me, though, like in the in the first couple of trailers that released, they mentioned nothing about this plot to kidnap Princess Leia to lure Obi-Wan out of hiding. No, they definitely dropped that on us um, in the first episode. And I like that 
because a lot of times trailers give away like the entire movie or series. And so they kept it under wraps, which was a great choice by Disney. Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we have to establish Obi-Wan is in hiding on Tatooine and he's not having the best of time. Like he clearly is down on the dumps. He, you know, he sees injustice and horrible things happening in, in Tatooine in his small corner of the galaxy. And he has to suppress that urge to want to do good and do right by, by the will of the force, but he can't, he has to, he has to stay a hermit. He does. And I love that they had him working at like, they were taking parts of, I think, like a, a whale or some type of animal and, like, packaging up the meat. And he's just there stealing some pieces for his little uh, his little anteater donkey thing <laughs> that farted on Jar Jar in the first prequel episode. And I like that. You know, Obi-Wan still had that good in him. Even though he was beaten down, he still was trying to do the right thing. Well, and I think a lot of that comes from Ewan McGregor's familiarity with the character. And if anybody else were cast to play Obi-Wan for this series, I think there would have been some type of riot among Star Wars fans. I totally agree with you. Like, honestly, the only two people that I can see ever being Obi-Wan, you know, is Alec Guinness, because he was the original, and then Ewan McGregor. Perfect casting. And I know with Ewan McGregor, he was excited to play this, um, I guess, aged version of Obi-Wan because he said he was excited to play it more like Alec Guinness's portrayal in the original trilogy. And honestly, I enjoyed it. Yeah, especially now that they're doing basically interviews and press tours all over the world. Ewan McGregor is just beaming with excitement over this series and him coming back to play Kenobi. And I remember... Back in 2019, when I think it was Star Wars Celebration, Kathleen Kennedy was on stage and brought him out and asked him, so if Obi-Wan Kenobi were to ever return you know, to the Star Wars universe, are you going to be playing him? And his one word answer on stage was yes. And I swear the, the, the roof could have blown <laughs> off of that amphitheater, which is how excited people were to see him come back and to confirm that he was coming back. Absolutely. I mean, he's just, especially in millennials, you know, for us nowadays, and we could talk a little bit about it, is you're seeing, like, for you and me, we grew up with him as our Obi-Wan. You know, we saw the old series, but he was the character that he is now. And so it's like, it's a bit nostalgia, but it's also like, it speaks to that inner child and you're like, yes, because he crushed it in the original series and just getting, getting to see him give it another shot at it. It just it speaks to my heartstrings. And I think it speaks volumes to the fans' willingness to go back and reevaluate the prequel films. Because, yes, don't get me wrong, I still believe that the prequel films are flawed. The writing's not great. There's an over-reliance on special effects. But you have to appreciate the level of commitment each of those actors brought on set every day. And you have to appreciate the level of storytelling that George Lucas brought to those films. And with that comes an appreciation for what you, not only Ewan McGregor did, but what Natalie Portman did with Padme, and also what Hayden Christensen brought to the table as Anakin Skywalker. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's especially, I feel, <laughs> I'm so happy. Like, I'm beaming now to have him back 
because Hayden Christensen, he got so much crap from, you know, the older people that grew up with the old Star Wars, you know, for his portrayal of Anakin. And I think now our generation and younger people are like reevaluating him. And we're like, you know, he did the best he could with, you know, George Lucas is not the greatest actor director and to have him back and give Anakin another shot was just to me I was so excited when they finally showed Hayden playing Anakin and I think the fifth episode where we had that lovely sequence of them training yeah and I think we would also be remiss if uh, we didn't mention the return of James Earl Jones as the voice of Darth Vader as well yeah I, I can't believe he's still doing it because he's old. He's like in his 90s. Though I did hear online there were some rumors that people are like, oh, it might not actually be him. Or it's like a mix of him and like a computer processing, like doing like a voice blend because, you know, he is a lot older. So they're trying to de-age his voice. But who knows? You know, I thought it was great to have James Earl back for a while we have him, you know. Yeah, you, you cannot do a series about Darth Vader and not have James Earl Jones be involved. And if they did use some sort of artificial intelligence to recreate his voice from the original trilogy, that's fine with me because he was absolutely terrifying in this series. Yeah, they definitely explored Vader a lot more um, and his just like his power and how menacing he was. As like this horrible, like you said, torturing these young people to make them into Sith Lords. I mean, Vader, we we finally got to peel back the curtain a bit. Because all we ever really saw of him was the later product in the original. When he's kind of like an old guy. So it, it was nice to see like, a, I guess, as we said in the intro, a peak Vader. Yeah, I think this is Vader at the height of his powers. I mean, obviously we see him take a bit of a stumble in the, in the final episode, but when he arrives on Mapuzo and is starts killing and torturing the, the innocent people in that town just to lure out Obi-Wan, this is like, Oh my God, this is full on dark side, Darth (laughs) Vader. And even when um, the third sister tries to kill him in the fifth episode, he's just blocking her attacks with his hand. He's not even using his lightsaber. He's just going, wow, force, stop that. And <laughs> in, uh, in the final episode, I absolutely love it when he, when he throws Obi-Wan down into that hole and you see that great shot of him looking up at Vader. There's, <laughs> there's a real strong vibe there, and I, and I really wish they would have thrown this line in there. I really would have liked Vader to just look down at Obi Wan and say, "Who has the high ground now?" <laughs> I know, I know. They, I was gonna say it happened twice because Vader finally had the high ground and at the end Obi-Wan once again came through with the high ground on Vader (laughs) I really wanted him to when he like hit him in the face and broke open his helmet Obi-Wan being like you have much to learn I still have the high ground (laughs) who would have thought who would have thought the high ground was the ground to have It, it rings true Chris well, it's great foreshadowing, too, because there's a moment in Return of the Jedi where Luke is on the top of, like, some staircase, and Vader's line to Luke is, Obi-Wan has taught you well. <laughs> oh, my God! And now it all 
sense. <laughs> Vader's one weakness is the high ground. After all these years. And fire. Fire in the high ground. I'm dead, bro. Oh, my God. But before we gush into more, we did have um, an actress that was getting a lot of flack. I uh, playing the third sister. Her name is Moses Ingram, and she played Reva Savander. And I was pretty blown away by her acting. Um, I don't know much about her past prior. I feel like you might, <laughs> but she, I think she was just fantastic in this. Yeah, I mean, I cannot speak enough to um, the level of brutality and menacing that Moses Ingram brought to her role as a third sister. Uh, but she is terrifying in this, like her in the first 20 minutes of seeing her in the first episode, she chops off somebody's hand. She's going to murder some, uh, run uh, on the run Jedi in the cafe. And she's, <laughs> she's the one who orchestrates the events to kidnap princess Leia and really sets this whole series in motion. And, She's also one of the younglings from the very beginning of the series. So we find out that this whole, the last 10 years of her life, everything she's done as an Inquisitor is merely so she can get close to Vader and kill him as retribution for the events of Order 66. A full, they had like two stories going on. And she was, yeah. It, when they broke through with that, I mean, I kind of figured with the Padawan stuff, because... I know they did a couple flashbacks to Anakin going at the younglings. And I was like, oh, I bet she was one of them. Just because, you know, like, because the whole time she comes on strong, like just menacing and awful and angry. And I'm like, there has to be something motivating this person. I don't know why she would hate Obi-Wan. And, and they kind of talked about it. Like she did a little hint. And I don't know if it was because an Inquisitor was there, like how Obi-Wan, like she, she seemed very resentful towards him for not doing enough to protect the younglings and the Jedi when Anakin was doing his uh, re torment and wreckage. But when you found out that it was Vader, you know, then that just added that little extra, oh, 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 she wants to kill this man. Yeah, I uh, I think the, 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 the hidden story here, or if there is a spinoff series to be had, it's Reva's ascension to her role in the Inquisitors and her drive and determination to just have an opportunity to get close to Vader and, you know, extract her pound of flesh or cyborg parts or whatever is left of him. Mm -hmm. I think so. I, I definitely, that, that wherever they go with her character will be very interesting. I'm sure. They also, like you mentioned, there is a young Leia. And so that is a young actress named Vivian Lara Blair. Um, she, you know, initially when they showed like the kid version of like Luke and Leia, I was like, oh no. Like it was a big eye roll. Like, oh, what are they going to do? But honestly, I'm glad that they focused on Leia instead of Luke. I'm glad like this whole series, like Luke didn't really even talk. He was just like this kid out in the farms. Uh, because with Luke, like, we have his story, so I don't think there's anything interesting to go about. And then plus, like, he doesn't mention anything <laughs> in Tatooine. Like, oh, yeah, I went on this crazy journey with Obi-Wan, you know? So with them focusing on Leia as a kid, 
I really enjoyed that dynamic that she had with Obi-Wan. I think it really just, it worked well. Like there were some great lines, like when they're walking around that, uh, I guess I can't remember the planet's name, but it was like basically the wild West, like just this slum awful planet. And Obi-Wan at one point was like, how old are you? Cause Leia's like giving him advice about his life. And I'm like, this is, this is their relationship was fantastic. Well, that would be the, the planet Dayu that you're, um, that you were mentioning where Obi-Wan first journeys to find Leia and, it's there too that we get we're introduced to another character uh, named Haja Estri, played by Kumail Nanjiani. And they're gonna say like, I mean, at first I wasn't a big fan of his character, but then he really kind of came around. I mean, it's it's definitely a common theme in in the Star Wars stories to have a character who at first has nefarious ne- motivations, but then you know comes around and eventually does the right thing. Yeah, because he played a fake Jedi, using magnets and everything to shuttle people out of the planet. And, you know, I, I agree with you. Initially, I was like, ugh, and I wasn't really digging his humor because it just didn't really seem like it worked with the, like, the time period and just, like, the whole environment. But later on, as he he had his redemption, I, I enjoyed him as a character. Hopefully, you know, I'm sure maybe he'll be in other things. Who knows? It would be nice. I, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of directions or a lot of interesting things that they can do with these new characters. Because, I mean, we've also got Indira Varma as um, Tala Durith, the uh, Imperial officer who helps Obi Wan on his journey. Uh, we've also got O'Shea Jackson Jr. as uh, Roken. Uh, definitely could potentially be a leader in the rebellion if, uh, if that ever percolates. Uh, but we also we have several returning, additional returning cast members from the uh, prequel trilogy back as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joel uh, Edgerton <laughs> played Owen in the uh, prequels. He came back, which was which is kind of nice to see him get a little bit more fleshed out. I like that they softened up the the character of Uncle Owen um, because in. In the original films, like you don't feel like a lot of, you don't feel like a lot of familial love here in those scenes. Like Aunt Beru is definitely the maternal, like just let him be a boy. He doesn't want to be a farmer. He wants to grow up. Owen's all like, well, I need him here, you know. Like, uh, it, it's weird. I don't want him to have his. I want him to have his own life, but I really want his life to be here. And then here, like, I love the moment where he's facing down Riva in their farm. And she remarks to him, like, you love him like he's your own. And he looks at her and goes, he is my own. And it's like, finally, we get some humanity and some fleshing out of Owen Lars. Yeah, because he did. I totally agree. He was very stale. And that could have just been a product of the 70s. You know, parenting styles were way different then, you know, than they are now and or it could be very much like, you know, farmers, because like, a lot of farmers, they keep the, you know, it's it's a family trade where they just continue to keep it in the family. You know, the next generation takes over the farm and so on and so on. So it you can, I at least could understand Owen why he didn't want Luke to go off. But I really enjoyed his portrayal, Joel's portrayal of Owen in this one, because absolutely you could feel the love. And then uh, was Bonnie... I can't even say that last name. 
Peace. <laughs> that would be Bonnie Peace, who's back as uh, uh, Baru, Aunt Baru. And she was in the uh, prequels, right? Uh, she was, yeah. We also had um, the Queen of Alderaan, Simon Kessler, or Kessel, which was nice. You got she, to see their her parents, Leia's parents again. She was actually not in the prequels, but um, the man who plays her husband, Bail Organa, <laughs> the, the actor Jimmy Smits, he was in the prequels and he came back. Jimmy Smits, yeah, we got him to you know he got some screen time, which was pretty nice. I always appreciate a, a Jimmy Smith's appearance in anything. Like he always, I mean, he's he always rocks whatever he's in, and and like for me, every time I see him in something, like oh, it's that guy, it's Jimmy Smith's. He's got just such a nice face, like a dude that's like, yeah. I don't know if you knew, so the voice, so apparently Zach Braff was the voice of Freck, the uh, transport driver. So I figured when he was talking. I was like, who the heck is that guy? And now that I see that it was Zach Braff, that totally makes sense. I mean, I'm not the biggest Zach Braff fan. Um, I mean, it, it was definitely some sort of affectation he was put on because I, I saw his name in the credits. I'm like, who was he? And then I, then I watched it again, and I was like, I, Scrubs. You didn't have to, you didn't have to credit Zach Braff because nobody is gonna figure that out. <laughs> You weren't a fan. Did you not watch Scrubs, Chris? No, I didn't. And to me, he just he's got one of those like really like punchable faces. <laughs> like I don't know what it is. It's just you ever see somebody and you're just like, man, I don't know what it is, but I just want to lay lay on a solid punch on your face right now. Oh my god. All right. Good to know. I guess in spoilers, if you want to bust out the cameos, uh, I think we should. People, yeah. peop, you've got a spoiler warning, you know. Absolutely. We had two returning guys that uh, had been long awaiting, and I was actually thinking that Palpatine was going to return. I'm like, they have to have the Emperor in some of these, right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, I'm really surprised they held off on doing that until the final episode, and it lasts 20 seconds, if that. I think that was rather generous for Ian McDiarmid's time. Yeah. Um, but I think the the cameo that everyone was kind of hoping for, and again, same deal, only lasts about twenty seconds, is Liam Neeson back as Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah, well, well, because they kept uh, Obi Wan the whole entire series kept asking Qui Gon to like reveal himself, help me, master, help me, master, and this whole time you're like, all right, when is this dude gonna show up? And I know they they finally did it for like George, because I know in Revenge of the Sith initially. Liam Neeson was going to film that scene as a force ghost, but I, I think it was like scheduling conflicts and all that. So he couldn't show up or something. And so we finally got him back and it was, you know, it was Liam Neeson. I don't think, I, I think I texted you. I don't think Liam Neeson put on his accent, his American accent, because <laughs> he definitely sounded, uh, what is he Irish or Scottish? Yeah. He is from Northern Ireland. So he is like, yeah. Like about as Ireland as you can get. And it, yeah, because when he said his his lines, I was like, that is definitely Irish. And then like an, an Irish accent. And then sure enough, like I watched some uh, uh, episode one scenes with him. I'm like, he definitely does not sound Irish. So maybe, you know, Liam Neeson was like, ah, whatever. I, I'm just going to show up, do this work. You know, I was hoping that he was going to be like, Obi-Wan, I have a set of skills <laughs> that I'd like to teach you. 
<laughs> Senator Organa should have called me. I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> but it was good seeing him, you know? And and it, it's something about, and I love it. It, it. There's always something about Force Ghosts whenever they appear to their Padawans. They just always have that affect to them where they're like, oh, you lovable little doofus come here you have much to learn young one and i got that where he was like i always have been here obi-wan well and it and it makes sense and i i do in like the moment where you know qui-gon does show up because it signifies that obi-wan you know is once again one with the force he he's healed his connection he's ready to resume his lessons in the force because there's always there's always something to learn there's always some new some new skill or some axe to sharpen in 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 the force and i think obi-wan is willing to go down that path and he is and it it was fantastic to see them back together and you know you know like he's gonna be okay he's gonna teach him the trick so that he can pull the same move on vader which is you know and i think um you know it speaks to like the whole idea because we saw it in you know the last Jedi with Yoda appearing for Luke and so on and so forth. They always are just like, you know, I'm back. <laughs> you finally have seen, you know, you're finally back in it, buddy. Now let me teach you another quick lesson while I'm here. Or if it's, you know, a re-edited version of Return of the Jedi, it's Hayden Christensen showing up out of there and going, hi, son. <laughs> oh, George. Just leave it and like in a, a little like side tangent. I um, what was I watching? I was watching uh, Return of the Jedi as well, where Vader picks up Emperor Palpatine and throws him down the shaft. I didn't know that George re-edited that, so Vader's like, no, no, like I was like, what? No, this is so unnecessary, man. Like, just stop, just stop. Oh, George. Hopefully one day we can get him back returned or but whatnot. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> so let's get into <laughs> let's get into the production because this started about uh, 2019, correct? Yeah, there was that big announcement at Star Wars Celebration. Um, you know, rumors have been swirling for a while of possibly a standalone movie. Uh, but those plans were uh, scrapped after Solo you know underperformed at the box office and yeah. the backlash was pretty pretty severe to that uh i'm sure we'll get to solo at some point on on this podcast i have no problems with solo i think if you're a star wars fan i don't know what else you could have wanted from a standalone yeah. uh movie about han solo but that's neither here nor there um yeah yeah <laughs> they did for this i think you're absolutely right because they went through pretty extensive rewrites with this. I know I was doing a little bit of research on it where I, I read that the take was initially darker and um, Kathleen Kennedy and uh, John Favreau said, you know, they needed to explore a little bit more because it, it almost felt initially the director was going to do a knockoff of The Mandalorian, you know, with like Leia and so I'm glad that they got that input from them. I, you know, I would have been curious to see a little bit more darker, like how darker it would have been, or if they had any more scenes with Hayden in it. But, you know, I'm the rewrites were real. But did we mention the director? Because I believe the director was Deborah Chow, correct? 
Yes, she is the showrunner um, for this series and spent some time uh, actually working with Dave Filoni and John Favreau on The Mandalorian. So she got a pretty, pretty solid crash course in in how to direct and how to you know craft a Star Wars story. Um, obviously, she's not alone in uh, writing the series. There's been other other writers that came on, uh, like Joby Harold, Stuart Beatty. Uh, Hannah Friedman and Andrew Stanton, who's directed a bunch of Pixar films, uh, came on and helped with the writing. But yeah, like no, you're you're absolutely right. Like I, I think I would have appreciated maybe a tiny bit more darkness. But I mean, with the snippets of Order sixty six and you know the the terrifying instances of Vader and the Inquisitors, like I don't know how much darker this series could have gotten while still being entertaining. Right. I think like the only darker would be like every time Vader's on screen, he's murdering someone or like choking out all the officers. (laughs) Like when they got to his castle, you just see once the ship leaves, Vader just turns around and snaps everyone's necks. (laughs) He makes a tornado of bodies just flying. It's like, all right, we get it. He's an evil man and he's mad. (laughs) How much darker do we need to get? We also need to strike that balance too between vader's anger and his his uh, his all-powerfulness basically mm-hmm. exactly because he can't be a total psychopath because that would just be like all right you, this guy is the one that decided to let his son you know turn him back to the light side so they did need that balance for sure but they did uh i remember when they announced uh hayden christensen was coming back i was pretty shook i didn't think that he was ever gonna return to star wars i think i said a while back if you're gonna if you were gonna do an obi-wan series with ewan mcgregor you would have to find a way to bring back hayden christensen even if it's as like flashback or he's in the darth vader suit you'd have to find a way to bring him back and that was the right call bringing him back without question i definitely agree and they also brought back uh john williams which was nuts because i thought he was done with star wars he is done with Star Wars, but he really wanted to compose the the main theme for the show, and he did. Like I even downloaded it today and have been listening to it nonstop. It's an incredible theme, and it's a motif that's used throughout the series in a lot of different ways. But the main uh, composer on the series is a British composer by the name of Natalie Holt, and she's worked on... Worked on a few things. She uh, worked on the Loki series for Disney Plus in 2021, and she's uh, uh, sc- doing the soundtrack for the Batgirl movie uh, set to come out this year. Okay, okay. Wait, the Batgirl movie's coming out this year? Oh, yeah. What? I thought The Flash was going to come out before it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to do a, another uh, little uh, force-fed sci-fi mini episode just on the timeline of ezra miller's insanity but uh gosh yes that is for another time because you and i text about that like monthly (laughs) like do you hear what this man or this person did sorry this person monthly try weekly because they do some sort of crazy new thing every week oh oh oh, gosh well yeah i i look forward to that uh brief (laughs) check-in So, another character or person that is defeated and devoid of hope, <laughs> Obi-Wan in this in this show, they definitely show him 
we see Obi-Wan and probably, and probably most, the only Jedi that we've really ever seen that is at the lowest of all low. He is so, like, down in the dumps in this. Is it a shock to see, like, this version of the character? Because even at the end of Revenge of the Sith, he was still pretty hopeful. Like, the, you know, he just delivered these two two babies, you know, that were supposed to be the, the saviors of the galaxy. And he was going to get Jedi lessons from Qui-Gon via Force Ghost. So even at the end of all that, you know, having just left his best friend for dead, like, Obi-Wan seemed pretty hopeful. Flash forward 10 years later, he's this broken down, faithless shell of a person. Yes, he was. And I in, in, initially, I was actually really happy to see him like that. Because seeing Obi-Wan, like, at his full power still, I don't think would have made for a good story. And I think I've alluded to this. The series is very Rocky-esque. Rocky Balboa, where, you know, the first half, he's just getting his butt kicked. He's trying to remember how to be a Jedi. And then the third half, the last three episodes, he's back, you know, till that final conflict when Obi-Wan is the master again. And I loved seeing him like that. I thought it it really, it humanized Obi-Wan for the first time because, you know, George did what he did in the prequels. And the Jedi were really just so stiff and emotionless. Um, and for this... You got to see Obi-Wan struggling with the conflict and the guilt that his, you know, his friend, you know, he ended up leaving him back there and his friend became this like, well, he didn't know that Anakin was still alive and he just had, he was just filled with remorse. So I really, I enjoyed that, you know, it added so much conflict and so it, um, it made sense for why he was how he was. I liked the humanity in it. Yeah, I think starting... If, like you were saying, if Obi-Wan, you know, had all of his Jedi powers right at the very start of this series, it would have been a very boring start. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> there's no stakes in it. Like, he's, I mean, by all accounts, he's closed himself off from the Force. He's still, you know, beating himself up over his role in, I mean, I mean, he thinks Anakin is dead. He has no idea that he's still alive and is, you know, parading around as Darth Vader, killing everything in sight. And... Like, Obi-Wan is just living in guilt and close himself off from the force. Yeah. And it's, and it's not like you don't see him blame the force, but it's almost like he blames the Jedi in a way for what everything happened and how it happened. And it took this girl, Leia, for him to finally be able to get his mojo back and, and gain confidence in himself. And, that was wonderful, like seeing him slowly get back at it, finally using the Force, finally beginning to trust himself again and trust his instincts and get that confidence. I really, I enjoyed that. That was definitely the high points, high points of the show, was seeing him go from this bitter old man to this actual hopeful guy that's back to being sarcastic. I mean, there's a there's a lot of moments to kind of pick from in uh, in this series but what's your favorite obi-wan has got his mojo back um sequence oh man that's a tough question um obi-wan getting his mojo back i really enjoyed in essence for me it was the end where he finally with leia the confidence that he ensued and you know he was talking to her and he gives her the little uh 
blaster rifle and he's like i wouldn't give a blaster to a 10 year old girl but you know he's like he says something along the lines of you know if we ever see each other again you know let me know if you need saving from an old man <laughs> you know as a wink to her because the whole series she was calling him like a grandpa which was pretty funny and and it was nice. It was nice to see him change back to his old clothes, right? That we see Alec Guinness wearing in A New Hope. He's wearing the white again with the brown cloak. And, you know, he just, he was upright and he had the smile and the confidence to him. And even and even said the, hello there. <laughs> so once he, you finally see the culmination of the whole series, to me, that was it. You know, I could say the, the lightsaber battle with Vader too, um, but... I really enjoyed that ending. It was very hopeful. How about you? Um, I'm going to have to go with his um, infiltration into the Fortress Inquisitorious in episode four. Because mm -hmm. he finally like unleashes like all of his force powers that he's been holding back. You know, We see him create a distraction with just the force. He's able to hold back the water as the, the, the window pane is breaking. And he shows off some pretty adept lightsaber skills. Like, yes, he's got his... He's got his mojo back, or at least he's working on getting it back. So I think that that beginning of him, you know, trusting himself and trusting in the force again is to me, that's like him buying in. It's like, I can't be this broken down shell anymore. That's devoid of hope. I have to trust in the force. I have to hope in the force because there are, there are now people that count on me. There Leia is counting on me. These people you know, Roken is counting on me. Sully is counting on me. And I have to deliver. I have to be the Jedi that people expect me to be. Mm -hmm. And he was. He definitely was. And I think <clears throat> you see this, like, the lines converge as, like, as Obi-Wan by episode three, when he has his first con confrontation confrontation with vader he's like at he gets beaten down dragged through a fire left almost left for dead very similar to how he left vader but then you see vader as obi-wan rises to the top vader starts his descent you see like obi-wan starting to get away from vader up to his tricks outsmarting outwitting and kind of bringing back to the fold that vader is still anakin is but a learner you know and I, I enjoyed that, too, because when they finally got to their fin final conflict where basically Obi-Wan could have killed Anakin again, he didn't. And he just chose, no, I'm, I'm good. There's nothing else here. This, I'm just going to leave him to himself to fight his own demons. I, do, I don't need to fight his demons for him anymore. Well, and it's it's a lot. It's a callback to their that flashback, you know, where Obi Wan tells Anakin like, "You have this constant need to prove yourself, and that's always going to be your downfall." And Obi Wan walks away from that that confrontation with nothing to prove. Yeah, I mean, in in his mind, his his best friend is gone. He doesn't have to defeat his best friend, and he's defeated Darth Vader. And he doesn't have anything to prove. That's why he leaves him for dead again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Like his arc throughout this series, you know, to quote, it's like poetry. It rhymes. I mean, it really does because in a new hope, when they have their final conflict against each other, you know, 
he he sacrifices himself for Luke once again, showing Vader like, nah, man, like there's nothing you can do to hurt me anymore. You're only hurting yourself. Right. Like, it's just I have nothing to prove to you. So bye. (laughs) You're still stuck in your old ways, young man. And that's why I love it, because Obi-Wan as a uh, teacher, you just always see this like he's always teaching. You know, whenever he's with Anakin, even in this, like with Vader, he's just all, it's always like a lesson in some way, you know, and I, I just love that with him. He's a master class. Uh, Obi-Wan, Jedi master, forever teacher. <laughs> How did you, so Vader and the Inquisitors, right? We didn't really get to see much of the Inquisitors, which I, I know you were kind of bummed out. And me too. Like I didn't, I just knew when I saw the six episodes, I'm like, there's not going to be enough time for them to flesh out these guys outside of Reva. But they did flesh out Vader and Reva get Reva. And that was nice. You know, as we said, she was the youngling and, you know, we got to see her arc in confronting Vader. Yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, yes, I would have appreciated to see more of the other Inquisitors, but Riva is the one that has the, the you know, she has the trauma in her life. She We find out that she has a goal in going after Obi-Wan and can get to Vader. And, like, uh, and I really was hoping for more of the Grand Inquisitor because that character actually is a big part in Dave Filoni's cartoon Rebels. And when he was, when he got speared in the stomach... In um, in part two, everyone's all like, "Oh, is is he dead? Is he not going to come back?" It's like people, there is a canon that they have to stick with. Okay, he's going to come back. He's not dead. The only person apparently in Star Wars that dies from spear in the stomach is Han Solo. <laughs> well, and, and Qui Gon. Qui Gon died too. And Qui Gon. Those are the only two that ever die from a spear in the stomach, which was pretty wild because Reva definitely got stabbed and then. She's just back on Tatooine. Buy it. Well, just remember what the Grand Inquisitor said. Revenge does wonders for the will to live. Apparently. Apparently. Um, <clears throat> I know, like, with Reva, that was kind of like my critiques of the sixth episode. I, I know, <clears throat> like, I, I feel like in the fifth episode, if Vader would have killed her, it wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been against it, especially because, like, she devised this whole plan and made Vader out to be a fool just to, like, try and kill him. So, to me, it didn't make sense why Vader didn't, like, murder her. <laughs> because I feel like he definitely would have, especially knowing his track history. But I understand also, like, they wanted to have her go to the light side and, like, confront her traumas and you know, have like a more of a hopeful story for her and then probably possible spinoff. But I will say my critiques, a little bit of my criticism of her character was um, that she didn't die because I think it, it, it would have been a sad story, you know, for her to die at the hands of the man that she wanted to murder that took everything from her. But I don't think that's a bad way to go either because it's real. In life, we don't always get, you know, our, um, what do you say, our schadenfreude or whatever? Oh, yeah, schadenfreude. We would, we would have liked to see bad things happen to people that we're rooting against. Exactly. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And I, and I, I wouldn't have minded if she would have 
died by Vader. Because especially at the end when, like, the little Tatooine thing, like, ah, the boy on Tatooine, and then she just goes there. I was like, what? This doesn't really make sense. But I don't know. It's it's not a perfect series for sure. I mean, I would have I would have liked them to do something that's uh, that symbolized her transition from the dark to the light. And I'm going to I'm going to get into the weeds of Star Wars nerdum. So just bear with me for a second. But Sith Lords, actually, they don't get Kyber crystals that, that power their lightsabers. How they get them is they have to actually kill a Jedi and steal its crystal and do it, it's basically and they basically do what's uh they fill the crystal with all of their rage and hate and that's where the the red color comes from for the for the sith lords it's a it's a process that's called bleeding so that's why it's always the color red for for the users of the dark side but you can you can do the reverse of it you can purify it you can use take that crystal and get rid of the rage and hate and turn it into whatever color you want. If it comes out green, blue, whatever. I would have liked to have seen them do something like that as opposed to just her leaving her lightsaber in the desert of Tatooine and just going off to do whatever she does after this. <laughs> right. Walk her injured body back to the spaceport and fly away or something. Yeah, that's I didn't know any of that. And that sounds that's like so sad. <laughs> that 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 they have to fill this with all that rage just to make that red. It's like so sad to hear these poor these poor people that just all that trauma that they went to went through turned them into the dark side and I mean it it, it was nice to see her confront her traumas. Also, um I don't know. It, it, you know, but I think that was, you know, I guess it would have been. I'm curious how what they're going to do with her. I would hope that she returns uh, for a second season if they do one or she gets her own spinoff show in some way. Um, but we'll see. I think there's a lot that they can do with this character. She is definitely the best and most interesting character that was created for this series by far. Maybe she'll open a nonprofit <laughs> for all the Jedi families that she murdered. <laughs> all the hi have you been displaced because of actions of the empire or the murder of the by the inquisitors <laughs> <laughs> my name is reva <laughs> and i'm here to help you oh my you may remember me from massacres on other planets <laughs> trust me i've changed <laughs> It's like now when I watch the original trilogy and I see Obi-Wan take out Anakin's lightsaber, I always say to myself or say to the TV, this is your father's lightsaber. He murdered 30 children with it. <laughs> yes! It's so true, though. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Vader. Speaking of Vader, like we talked a little bit, he was very menacing. Uh which was great. The I would say my favorite was definitely their trading fight scene. Seeing Hayden Christensen back as Anakin was pretty wonderful. A lot of fun little moments there. A lot of if you're um, like keen viewers will see that there was a lot of similarities between that training fight and their climactic uh, fight on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, you definitely saw the parallels between that and. It brings it also 
it like adds tribute to that for why you know at that point why they barely it only took the high ground for obi-wan to finally beat anakin because they're pretty much evenly matched whereas in that training sequence obi-wan was still far superior yeah and in it's just <laughs> uh i know there's been some criticism that's been levied at this series for relying on nostalgia a bit too much and like there's certainly like that mo those moments there in the fifth episode with the the training flashback but i don't think that this series becomes guilty of relying on it until the final episode i don't i, don't, I know you certainly have some thoughts on recently star wars relying a bit too much on nostalgia lately yeah i mean they they definitely do um i saw it a lot more in like the second seasons like with mandalorian the first season was really fresh and interesting but then the second season seemed a lot more nostalgia fan fiction based you know trying to pull at our heartstrings this series um it didn't feel too heavily nostalgia based um just because like they were exploring avenues of the character as opposed to you know like the sequels that we saw those the movies like they you know freaking the force awakens as we've talked about that was basically like a repeat of you know a new hope and essentially all of them were like a repeat of all the episodes and this one, it I agree with you. It felt a lot more nostalgia based at the final, like the sixth episode. It just, I don't know, like throwing in the cameos and all that. But I mean, it's hard to end a series, you know. As we as we've seen, like Lost, it's it, Lost was a tough ending, you know. A lot like Game of Thrones. I mean, it's it's really tough to end stuff, and so it wasn't as bad as nostalgia bait films that I've seen. It wasn't at all as bad as The Rise of Skywalker because that was terrible. That was a film that was all like fan service and nostalgia bait. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I don't mind the nostalgia at all. I personally love where they place the, the music cues, like the Imperial March. Um, also the Force theme when Obi-Wan is leaving Alderaan. But um, the one that I love the most and the one that actually hit me pretty hard when it started playing was when princess leia's theme from the original film is uh playing over when obi-wan is telling leia about uh her mother and her father and like there's a there's a very interesting story behind that piece of music so john williams obviously legendary composer basically gave us the entire created the the world of star wars through music the, the story behind that piece of music is his wife had passed away a couple of years before production on Star Wars began, before he was asked to write the music. And a lot of people actually believe that that piece of music that he wrote is a tribute to his deceased wife, because it's the only piece of music that he's written for any film that he performs in concert. Um and it's it's a very it's a very touching piece of music. It's a very beautiful piece of music. And you know, for me right now, like I'm going through some difficult times with my family, and at the moment, and Obi Wan's meeting with Leia, you know, is is a reminder, you know, for all of us as children that we are the best of our parents. But at the same time, it's up to us to forge our own paths. So that's that's why that's that meeting for me for Obi Wan and Leia is. 
him telling her you are these people but you are going to be your own legendary person someday exactly that is i totally i totally agree with you like the music nostalgia wasn't it didn't take me out at all and that's such like a beautiful story for why john you know he john williams made it and kept it keeps it and performs it because I don't know. It means it's something personal, and I and I totally agree with you, with that. It's why, like at the end, um, Obi Wan, you know, Owen lets him give him the toy, but then he rides off. You know, he, you guys, he's your son. You take care of him. You know, he he needs to chart out his own path. I'm not here to force him to force <laughs> to you know to construct him into some Jedi or something. And I think that rings true. Like we don't have to be. You don't have to be how your parents are, right? You can always end those generational curses. Right, and I think that's something that we all have to deal with at some point. And this series, I mean, it, it gets it obviously touches on it later. I think particularly in The Empire Strikes Back where, you know, Luke has that vision in the cave where he does defeat, you know, it's this avatar of Darth Vader, but it turns out it's actually Luke, you know, in the helmet. So there's... There's this reconciling that Luke has to do. Is like, yes, my father is Darth Vader, but that doesn't mean I have to be. I don't have to be. I don't have to turn to the dark. I can forge my own path. Absolutely. And I think you nailed it right on the head. It's something that I know I dealt with a lot growing up, too. Like, not wanting to be like my parents and, you know, wanting to try and construct and manifest, um, like, my own path in my own life. And, and, I, and those are great values to explore and a good story in uh, art, television, movies, etc. Because it is something that hopefully we all have to, as humans, deal with at some time of our life. And so I'm glad that they added that to this because it, it, I definitely felt it as well. Yeah, it was definitely definitely hit right in the feels when that <laughs> bit of music started playing. Absolutely. Um, for this, so I we've talked a little bit about how like Star Wars now they're trying to get out of the Skywalker saga and explore like new grounds just because the original. <laughs> like I feel like they're creatively bankrupt with the original characters. Like there's really nothing else that they can explore and do, you know, like how many more series do we need to see like Darth Vader, Obi-Wan, Luke, etc. You know, I think now hopefully they're able to like go beyond what's canon and create more of a story. Well, and I think they're starting to do that now. I mean, I mean, yes, the canon is great. The canon has brought us a lot of great moments, but it's also it's very constricting and it doesn't give you know creatives the the right amount of freedom to do what they want with a story. And I think we're seeing this now where people are given the opportunity to pivot away from the Skywalker saga. Like um like one of the things we talked about um off air was the video game Jedi Fallen Order which came out in 2019, it was a great, fantastic story, really explored, you know, what it is to be a Jedi. Um, still set, obviously, within the Star Wars universe. It is now considered canon. Um, and there's a sequel coming out uh, sometime next year uh, called Jedi Survivor. 
and a lot of rumblings of a possible show, live action adaptation, uh, or at least continuation of that story. So, I mean, there's so many different Star Wars projects down the pipe, or at least that have been announced or teased at some point. So I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity for Star Wars to grow beyond both the Skywalker saga and, you know, add a bit more to the canon, you know? I'm sure. I agree with you. I'm sure they are because they see it. And I really think, you know, because Star Wars, that original, you know, now the nine episodes, it's just like been worshipped to death and people have like written papers and just there's so much that has been done with those nine episodes now there i just don't think they can go anywhere else with them and if they try to like they have it's just going to be met with horrible a lot of times unjustified fan backlash so i think the right direction that they need to go is out you know like you've said before the prequels and like after the rise of skywalker and like other areas because we we've we've you know we've we've seen enough we they've talked about luke and the skywalker family to death so i'm excited that they have more things going on like you said uh with jedi survivor i know um they talked about mandalorian is gonna have another season ashoka i'm sure will be having another season or have a season because she appeared in the mandalorian series there's there's definitely a lot that they have planned um uh, the character of Cassian Andor, he's set to get his own uh, spinoff series set to premiere uh, summer 22. There's also another season uh, planned for that. So a lot of uh, stories to tell there, at least at the beginnings of the Rebel Alliance. Um, the Recently, there was a Star Wars celebration uh, in May of 2022, and they announced a new series starring Jude Law. It's called Skeleton Crew. Uh, no plot details. No plot details released just yet, but a lot of exciting things happening there. Um, also, um, uh, world beloved, I guess is the right word. I don't know what the right phrase for somebody who's just universally loved. Uh, <laughs> Taika Waititi is set to uh, make his uh, entrance into the Star Wars universe. Oh, wow. Okay. Sweet. Sweet, sweet. Because aren't they because i remember they said that ryan johnson was supposed to have like a trilogy but i I haven't heard anything about that i think ryan johnson is just rolling in the netflix money right now (laughs) and is just i think he's focusing on doing more knives out movies which i'm okay with because i love the first one and i cannot wait to see what they do with glass onion i think that's going to be incredible i i totally agree with you i would say if there is a Force-fed sci-fi, non-sci-fi movie recommendation. Go see Knives Out. It is such a callback to Clue murder mystery films from back in the day. And Ryan Johnson, you know, he he's he's a hell of a director. I think he's fantastic. Great storyteller. So check it out. Daniel Craig is phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this could easily turn into a Knives Out podcast if we let it. <laughs> Uh, any others? I heard like the Bad Batch or something. Is that is that there? I haven't watched it. Yeah, the, the Bad Batch is set to. It got a highly acclaimed uh, first season uh, in 2021, and it is coming back for season two in the fall of 2022. Um, 
Also, director John Watts from uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, he directed the Spider-Man films. He is also developing... Um, He's developing a series for Disney Plus. It is set in the Star Wars universe. It's supposed to be like a mix between the Goonies and Stranger Things focused on children. Um, and I think it, from what I understand, it's set sometime after the fall of the Empire and Return of the Jedi. So there's a, there's a lot of interesting things that are happening in terms of Star Wars stories that, uh, that should excite people. All right, cool. Lot to come. Lot to come for sure. Hopefully it's good. <laughs> well speaking of good though i mean we're at the end of kenobi here there has been no word if a second season is going to happen like i've said before if this season were to end and nothing else related to kenobi comes out after this i'd be fine with that but if a second season were to come out sean what would you want to see from it oh man if there was a second season of kenobi you know, I I would love to see Darth Maul um, because I so I'm one of the people that actually really likes Solo, <laughs> and I loved how they set up Darth Maul being like this mob gangster, Godfather boss archetype, and so I would really be intrigued to see um, a a limited series with Darth Maul and like Obi Wan Kenobi kind of rummaging through the the mobster underbelly of like all those guys and seeing Obi-Wan maybe do like a rescue or something like a mystery trying to save Jedi or something, you know, maybe him and Reva go or Reva go on a mission together. Who knows? That would, that would be really intriguing for me because like another, you know, like how in the prequels, I think like Darth Maul always got like a bad rap as well, <laughs> being defeated so easily being cut in half and all that. So I think it would be interesting to have his character fleshed out. How about you, Chris? You know, you're you you uh, you're probably going to laugh out loud when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I would love to see the return of Mace Windu in Star Wars. <laughs> Why? He has no hand. <laughs> hey, everyone gets, hey, everyone apparently gets robot appendages in the Star Wars universe. They must have some great health insurance. I mean, Darth Vader's got a, uh, got a bunch of mechanical appendages. <laughs> Luke's got a mechanical hand. Like, everybody, I think, in this universe has some mechanical appendage. And, like, why not Mace Windu? <laughs> You know? See an old 70-year-old Mace Windu with a beer belly walking around swinging a purple lightsaber. <laughs> you know, they talked about a line uh, in episode four of this series when uh, Obi-Wan's going through like the dungeon with all the frozen Jedi. Um, some people like paused it and out of the corner of the screen, you saw like a character that looked like Mace Windu frozen in that dungeon. So maybe, maybe. Maybe they'll have him incorporated, but I don't know if they can afford Samuel L. Jackson for more than one episode or maybe a cameo. I mean, if if the price is right and he wants to do it and it's an interesting story, I don't know. Like there, there, I think there could be room to bring back Mace Windu because we don't know if he's really dead. Maybe, maybe he got saved in Coruscant. You don't know. <laughs> Falling from the top of a building on being electrocuted. Maybe. Who knows? Hey, we all thought Palpatine was dead when Vader threw him into the Death Star pit and he came back for episode nine. So uh, I'm just saying anything's possible in Star Wars. Oh God, don't remind me of that. <laughs> I know, right? 
it's all it's all for nothing. Vader's whole sacrifice was completely wasted. <laughs> but that's true. Maybe maybe he's still alive and out there somewhere. Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. It'll be interesting if they do a second season. Like I said, I am perfectly okay if it ends here and there's no additional Kenobi stories to tell. I think it ended the way it should have, and I don't need a second season if I'm being honest. Same. Exactly. But it would be nice to see Mace Windu be like, I want these MF and stormtroopers out of my MF and plane. <laughs> Someone give me my lightsaber. <laughs> Just see him get angry Mace Windu because he was so uh he was so uh calm in the prequels. He never got mad. <laughs> no, he had them crazy he eyes. He did though. have them crazy eyes. So maybe we'll get an angry Mace Windu. Who knows? Um, <laughs> well, my good sir, anything else before we uh rate this? Nah, I got nothing. Let's uh let's rate Obi-Wan Kenobi, shall we? I am down. All right, so we're going to amend our our rating system a little bit here on this episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi. We're going to amend it slightly, being that this is on Disney Plus and streaming. We'll call, we'll, on our unique scale of would not stream, would stream, would own, and would host a streaming party. Sean, what do you give to the limited series Obi-Wan Kenobi? Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um... For this series, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I really, you know, there were elements of nostalgia. It's not perfect. There were a lot of plot holes. But as I've said before, and in our text off air, you know, I think for all the Star Wars nonsense that we have been getting since 2015, this series and Mandalorian are pretty darn good. And I think it's, it's the best stuff that we've had in a long time. Star Wars wide. So I would put this as a, um, you know, I would put it right up there between a wood own and a wood host a streaming party. Uh, like I said, it's not perfect, but I would put it as a solid in between or closer to a wood own because it was just, it was fantastic. You got the growth of the characters, you got to see them fleshed out a little bit more. It hit all the beats. Um, like I said, it wasn't perfect. A lot of dialogue could have been cut. A lot of scenes could have been cut. But overall, entertaining and better than we've had in a long time. How about you, Chris? You know, I'm going to echo just about everything you were saying. I think Kenobi just totally blew away my expectations for it. It, it, had, it had everything that I could have wanted from this series and more. I love the emotional depth that they explored. This is something that, you know, Star Wars hasn't gotten in into for a long time and this was great to see i love the themes they explored of regret anger and even family in and a lot of it and all of it's basically personified in reva and she is one of the most compelling villains in any star wars story and i would love to see her return either in her own series or you know back for kenobi season two and you know like you were saying about the writing it's a tad predictable um, but in my opinion, a precedent has been set in Star Wars for bad writing, thanks to George Lucas. Um, but I agree with what you're saying. I, I believe this is the best Star Wars story that Disney has made since the acquisition. And like, um, while I hope that there's more, I don't need there to be. But I'm, I'm going to call this a would host a streaming party. Woo. There we 
we go. Stream on, brother. <laughs> Stream on. I'm uh, I'm debating whether or not to get, now that all the episodes are out, I'm debating whether or not to give this uh, another full rewatch. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, me too, actually. Just see, so just to like catch things that I probably missed. Cause it it is a wonderful, uh, it's enjoyable for sure. So it was a pleasure, yeah. Chris. I enjoy it, my good sir. It's always fun doing these with you. Likewise, Sean. I'm uh, so glad we can uh, talk about Kenobi. It's been a long time since we've discussed Star Wars here on Force Fed Sci-Fi. Yes, it has. <laughs> so stay tuned, folks. Uh, I'll be finishing up uh, editing Ready Player One with our uh, special guest, L. Sir Brian. So I'll get that out to you guys soon. <laughs> awesome. Looking forward to hearing that. Sean, as you said, it is always a pleasure to discuss uh, these films or shows with you. Right back at you, buddy. And if you all enjoyed this episode of Force Fed Sci-Fi, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That really is the best place to do it, and it really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. And so for all of us at the Force Fed Sci-Fi team, may the Force be with you.